Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kerry Costello and Dr. Deepak Kumar. Kerry is a biomedical engineer and leads the AI Biomechanics Lab at the University of Florida. Deepak is a physical therapist and leads the Movement and Applied Imaging Lab at Boston University. They both use state-of-the-art technologies to study movement during daily activities and their associations with pain and tissue health in knee osteoarthritis. They recently published a super interesting paper that caught my eye in BJSM that investigated some gait and physical activity predictors, so things that uh, us as clinicians can um, assess and treat. And they looked at some of those factors and how they were associated with cartilage worsening in people with knee osteoarthritis from the most study. And they used some machine learning um, modelling to do this. So we know now is such a burdensome and common condition that we see in clinics. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, Kerry and Deepak, to understand how this research could be applied um, in our clinic. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, Brooke. Okay, we'll get straight into it. So I guess what was the motivation for the study? And for those that are unfamiliar with the most cohort, can you give us a, a bit of a summary of what that cohort is? Sure. So as you mentioned, osteoarthritis and especially knee osteoarthritis is very common. There are currently estimated to be over 350 million people worldwide living with knee osteoarthritis. And because there's no cure, many people end up living for years with pain and disability. So ideally, we'd like to find a way to intervene earlier to try to slow or stop that disease process. As an engineer, I think osteoarthritis is a really interesting disease because one of the risk factors for it that's actually modifiable is mechanical loading on the joint. So we could potentially change that loading and be able to affect disease progression. And that could either be through changing gait or the quality of movement or through changing physical activity, which is the quantity of movement. And that could event potentially change the disease course. So um, this would be really cool, but the tricky part is that these are not independent. So the way that you move could affect how much you move and vice versa. Uh, additionally, there are a number of other individual factors, such as older age, female sex, or um, obesity, that are independent risk factors for osteoarthritis progression, but can also affect how you move or how much physical activity you do. So we had the idea to use machine learning for this study to help us look at this complex set of related predictors. The challenge with this then is that machine learning requires really large samples, which is why we decided to take advantage of most through the multicenter osteoarthritis study. So this is a large observational cohort of individuals with and without knee osteoarthritis. And to our knowledge, it's the only large data set that has data on gait, physical activity, demographic and clinical data for a large number of individuals, obviously, um, and in particular, also includes the clinical outcome that we were interested in using, which in this study was a measure of cartilage worsening from MRI. And uh, maybe just to add to that, Brooke, um, like from a clinical perspective, um, Kerry like outlined how large of a problem osteoarthritis is clinically. Um, there already are interventions that are designed to change how people with knee pain move or how much they move. So interventions to change their gait patterns or their physical activity patterns. But 
um, the interventions are based on these interventions are based on prior studies that are typically uh, you know coming from sm small cohorts um, and these prior studies typically decide uh, ahead of time which parameters or which features of movement they want to study um, and we wanted to take a more let's take a step back and look at uh, look at these data more holistically without like deciding ahead of time like what parameters might be important thanks Deepak and thanks Kerry for that context and makes total sense knee osteoarthritis is a very complex condition and to be able to include all the variables that that may be influencing outcomes for patients is is a challenge so uh, congratulations on the piece of work and utilizing this large data set um, so I'm really keen I guess now to to find out from you what the findings of the study were and how they did um, match up with some of these other studies in the field. Yeah, so we had about 14% of our sample that had cartilage worsening over a two-year period. And as I was kind of getting to, we built a machine learning model that included ground reaction force data, which is the force that's applied to the body as somebody's walking, um, physical activity information from an accelerometer worn uh, on the lower back, and then clinical and demographic data. So those were all of the predictors in the model. And it was actually able to predict who would have cartilage worsening fairly well. So we trained the model a number of times, 100 times to be exact, and then tested it on a held out test set. Um, and our median area under the receiver operating curve, or AUC, if people are familiar with that term, was 0 0.73. So it the machine learning model performed fairly well, um, but what we were more interested in, of course, was understanding which variables were going into this prediction. So we first used a variable importance measure to try to extract variables from the model that were contributing to that prediction. Um, and then we applied another step, G computation, which allowed us to actually quantify what their effect was on our cartilage worsening outcome. So of those clinical and demographic variables, as you might expect, we identified existing structural damage and pain or higher pain were associated with higher risk of cartilage worsening over the two-year period. Um, but of the gait and physical activity predictors, which we were really interested in because those were things that we might be able to modify, we found that higher lateral ground reaction force impulse, more time spent lying down, and low vertical ground reaction force unloading rate at the end of stance were associated with increased risk of cartilage worsening. Thanks, Kerry. And Deepak, uh, please feel free to add anything there. And then I'm keen to hear from you as a physical therapist, uh, what these findings and these gait and physical activity characteristics might mean for people treating patients with knee osteoarthritis. Yeah, I'm sure happy to. Um, I do want to clarify that um, of our of our cohort, uh, about ten percent uh, had what we typically call as established knee osteoarthritis based on their X-rays, but almost forty percent had cartilage damage based on their MRI. We intentionally excluded persons with moderate or severe knee osteoarthritis based on their X-rays to focus on people with early disease or mild disease, uh, if I may call it so. This is because intervening earlier is more likely to be effective than once the structural changes in the knee have become more advanced. So in terms of like how these results are useful or could be 
could lead to clinical interventions. Um, I would say that the first, that these results actually confirm some of the uh, findings from previous studies. That means risk factors for worsening OA like pain, pre-existing cartilage damage, and radiographic severity are indeed important. So interventions to alleviate knee pain obviously need to be considered, particularly interventions that may help with pain with walking or other movements, which we know is more bothersome for people with knee osteoarthritis than pain at rest. What our study then adds is highlighting the importance of walking patterns and physical activity in general for people with knee osteoarthritis and also the importance of certain specific features of movement patterns and physical activity. Current, like if you think about the current clinical approaches, typically they typically tend to focus on either changing the movement patterns, for instance, using some type of biofeedback or orthotics like a lateral wedge or a knee brace, or they focus on increasing physical activity. Our results suggest that it is important to consider both uh, together. So movement patterns and physical activity together as Kerry had mentioned earlier. And then regarding the specific features that we found to be important, higher lateral ground reaction force impulse um, is currently something that might be difficult to measure in clinical settings. However, rapid advances in both open source and commercial technologies to estimate ground reaction forces from variable sensors or video data may allow this in the future. And then we also identified sedentary time as an important risk factor. And again, if you think about physical activity interventions for this population, they typically focus on increasing active time, um, but maybe intentionally focusing on reducing sedentary time may be more effective. Yeah, I mean, I think Deepak summed it up nicely there. These specific features, some of them have been seen previously. Um, so Dan White and, and some of his colleagues have done a lot of work on sedentary time and physical activity. Um, so these results are supported by that prior work. And then we previously did a study in most and found that the lateral ground reaction force um, was also important in terms of identifying among different, um, between groups with, with and without radiographic disease um, and with and without knee pain. So it might be also important now in not just severity, but also uh, longitudinally. Um, or, you know, in terms of progression. The the last one, the unloading one, is a little bit less clear, but I think this kind of gives us a place to start and some um, interesting results that do support some prior research as well. Fantastic, Deepak, and it's good to hear that the data from this large mo most cohort is backing up some of those smaller cohort studies looking at uh, lateral wedges and, and gait modifications. Uh, what's also really pleasing to hear is that uh, relationship between sedentary time and cartilage worsening. So for clinicians listening in, you can be confident um, when you're communicating with your patients that actually being sedentary and resting and getting off their knee actually isn't um, isn't helpful for their uh, tissue health. Kerry, can you just explain for the listeners a little bit about what the higher lateral ground reaction force impulse means? Um, the impulse is the area under the curve, and so it's kind of capturing both the magnitude and the time. So this is um, the lateral force that's being applied to the foot as somebody's stepping onto it during the stance phase or during the time that that foot's on the ground. And so it's 
a higher, it could be a higher magnitude or a longer amount of time on the ground. So either one of those things could be affecting that value of the impulse. Carrie, can you also explain to the listeners what um, the other factor that was associated with greater risk of cartilage worsening was the lower vertical ground reaction force unloading rate? One is kind of getting at the slope of unloading. So they're not unloading that vertical force as quickly at the end of stance, which again, is a little bit more tricky and there hasn't really been much on that previously in the literature. So I think the biological reason for that is a little bit less clear and probably should be investigated more going forward. So we're, we're not exactly sure what's what that one is, but again, it, it could be some sort of compensatory mechanism or, you know, they're have too much time they're spending on that limb or something like that. But again, like we're not quite sure yet. It's important for us to start, start to like better understand how gait might be important because as I said earlier, like typically, you know, prior studies focused on pre-selected features, which were typically like the peak force. And these data are showing that it's not just the peak force, it's but it's you know how long the force is applied for and these like features that uh, include like how quickly the force is applied or removed that are important. And it's not just the peak force. I think that's the takeaway, more important takeaway. Um, how these gate parameters can be altered clinically. I think that's something still to be seen. Um, I think these findings first need to be replicated in other cohorts. Um, you know, before before saying something definitive about like mechanistic causal relationships between these parameters and the OA disease. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah, it's obviously going to point a lot of good research in the right direction to to look at those things and the effect of interventions. Um, for clinicians treating people with NEOA in the clinic, what might be the, you know, based on the best available evidence and technology that your average clinician would have access to, is there anything from a, a gait and physical activity perspective that you would want to highlight as, as a priority? I think... Uh... I think for physical activity, using like commercial activity monitors um, are is fairly reasonable to do so, and I think a lot of people already use them. With uh, uh, I think data suggests that more and more people are starting to use activity monitors. So I think that's a reasonable way to go for measuring, say, the sedentary time variable that we identified to be important. Uh, and then again, as I said earlier, measuring ground reaction forces in clinical setting is uh, a little bit more challenging. Um, however, this may change with advances in machine learning and computer vision technologies, where which might allow for estimation of ground reaction forces and maybe even knee joint loading from, say, wearable sensors or uh, using data from video cameras, you know, like just a video capture of somebody walking. Um, I think right now, clinically, well, the, uh, what's available is um, uh, access to spatiotemporal gate parameters. So things like gate speed, uh, stance time duration, step length, and things like that, which also provide a wealth of information. And there's other studies that we have done, which suggest that uh, these are important parameters, particularly cadence, which is the number of steps you take in a minute, and step length, uh, which is uh, you know the distance between consecutive foot strikes. 
which are important metrics uh, in terms of uh, risk of pain worsening in this population. So there, there is still information that can be, that is accessible to clinicians. Uh, these parameters can be measured using sort of old school technologies where you can have a person walk across a measured walkway and then uh, use a stopwatch. Or you can use uh, commercially available wearable sensor technologies that are sort of in a black box, but they give you all of these data that you need. Advances that have been made in the last um, couple of decades is crazy. So to to think where you know this, how this technology could be used in the, the clinic in the future is is super exciting, and the the work that you're doing is progressing that field forward. So. I guess, can you explain a little bit more about what machine learning is? You alluded to it a little bit before, but yeah, like when you say, you, you, you know, you're teaching the model and trying different things, like how does that actually yeah, help us answer some of the questions potentially faster than traditional techniques? Yeah, so as I had mentioned earlier, the main reason that we wanted to use machine learning here was to help us make sense of this complex set of interrelated variables that might contribute to OA worsening. Um, so machine learning is essentially, instead of applying a specific model to the data that we think might be the correct model, like a linear relationship or something like that, machine learning um, takes the data and tries to identify patterns in the data itself. Uh, so it's just a little bit of a different mindset in terms of how you're approaching the problem. The specific approach that we used is called super learning, which is an ensemble method. So it actually uses a whole bunch of different machine learning algorithms. So there are different types of machine learning algorithms. Each one uses the data to make a prediction. And then we kind of combine all those together to decide what we want our final prediction to be. And by we, I just mean the computer model. <laughs> um, but that essentially ensures that you're going to get a prediction that's at least as good as whatever the best performing individual algorithm is, um, because all of the different algorithms may perform better or worse depending on the specific data set. Uh, so this gives us a way to kind of just learn from the data without having to try to prescribe ahead of time what some of those relationships are or which variables might be important. Um, it sounds like it's like having an extra colleague in the office. Do you ever get frustrated with the, the computer and, and what it's trying to do? <laughs> Sometimes. Um, I think it can, it can take a long time, too, to run some of these uh, algorithms because it's, you know, it, the computer is just kind of chugging through and looking at a bunch of different options about how these could be related. Um, I think another important point to make about machine learning is that it's really good at predicting, but it doesn't tell you about causal pathways or what's the biological reason for that predicted change. And while it's helpful to know and to be able to predict who's going to get worse, it's even better to know why they're going to get worse so that we can figure out what to change or what to intervene on. Um, so that's why we added that additional step of the G computation in our model. So we use the machine learning model to try to figure out which variables were helping contribute to making a good prediction of our cartilage worsening outcome. But then we kind of took those outside of the machine learning model, fed those into a different type of statistical analysis, which was the G computation that allows us to quantify the effect of the predictors on the outcome. So for example, 
what is the increased risk of cardiac worsening if you have varus versus neutral knee alignment? Um, so those are the types of questions that that G computation step allows us to answer. Uh, whereas the machine learning model helped us ensure that we had a good prediction of our outcome and then identify some important variables that we might want to look into further with this second step. That was a great explanation, Kerry. Um, for someone that knows nothing about machine learning, um, I was able to follow <laughs> along. So, um, Deepak, did you have anything to add? No, I think that was a great, great explanation as well. Yeah. Nailed it, Kerry. So, what's next for you both here? Are there studies that you're doing or other work, um, you know, evaluating the effect of some interventions that might modify some of these characteristics? In our work, uh, we are coming at this a few different ways. Um, one is just, as I mentioned earlier, like developing uh, technologies where we can start to measure um, alterations and how the individuals walk. Um, using uh, less expensive, less uh, cumbersome technologies, so like sensors and uh, video data. And then we're also trying to measure how these individuals, not just how they walk in the lab, but also how they actually walk in everyday life. Because we know that how the individuals walk in everyday life is different from this, you know, uh, like very sort of uh, artificial environment where they're walking in, in the lab with all these sensors on them, with somebody watching them uh, and just walking in straight paths. That's not how we walk in our everyday life. And the second thing we're trying to do is to actually understand uh, not just whether uh, these gait parameters or these physical activity parameters are related to the osteoarthritis disease and pain, but also trying to understand like how these are related. So to do that, we are actually directly studying brain activity during walking in individuals with knee pain and also examining how pain may influence these movement patterns and physical activity patterns. And then finally, to actually answer your question, we are also testing some novel interventions that could influence both qualities of movement patterns and quantity for like, physical activity in these individuals. For example, using um, mindfulness combined with uh, gait, gait retraining or mindfulness combined with exercise. Um, that's that's some uh, studies that we have recently recently undertaken. Yeah, and I think as Deepak is the clinician and I'm the engineer, I'll leave the intervention research to him. I'm, my research is kind of building on some of this work. Um, we're doing this in a couple different ways. One, as Deepak had mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the interesting things we found was it's not just that peak magnitudes of forces, but there are some of these other variables that are getting at kind of the duration and the magnitude of those forces. Um, so we're also trying to look at some of the physical activity information in more detail, because right now we're using these summary measures of what people are doing um, over a week or so of activity. So we're having things like average daily step count or average amount of time per day spent lying, which is one of the interesting variables we found here in this study. Uh, but if you think about what people do every day and what their knee goes through every day, there's actually quite a variety of different activities and loading that they experience. So we're trying to delve more into some of those physical activity time series data to understand if there's more information contained in there that we could use to predict outcomes. And that kind of fits with some of the things Deepak was talking about too, about better capturing what people are doing out in the real world. Um, and then the other thing that we're working on 
and I think kind of ties into some of the questions you said about you were asking about machine learning and um, how it might help us answer some questions faster. I think another benefit of the increase in interest in machine learning is the emergence of these large open access databases like most. And so by sharing data and using some of these data-driven approaches like machine learning, we can accelerate our pace of discovery. Um, and it, they're also valuable because it allows us to look at more factors than ever before, which is really important when we have diverse patient populations like we do in the osteoarthritis. So one of the other things I'm trying to do here in Florida is partner with some of the retirement communities um, in the state, which as you may know, we have a lot of here uh, to try to help create these large data sets of biomechanics data uh, and physical activity data to be able to continue to investigate some of these same questions. Fantastic. Oh, it's great work that you're doing and you sound like the dream team in terms of your complementary <laughs> skill set. So keep up the good work. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add or wrap up? Um, otherwise, we'll we'll finish it there and we'll link um, to, to some of the papers that you referred to in the show notes. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for having this group. And I also wanted to just acknowledge our co-authors. This was a team effort. Uh, so these individuals all across the country and even the world who have uh, contributed to most over the years and then also uh, gave us access to the data so that we could do this work. So I just wanted to thank all the co collaborators and, and the participants who actually came in and participated in the study. Yep. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you so much, Kerry and Deepak. And I'm sure if yeah, people have got specific questions, they can reach out to you and um, and ask away. So and we hope that you enjoyed this BJSM podcast and have a physically active day. Thank you.